Welcome to Ophthalmology and Beyond, the Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society's podcast. Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society is the largest state association of 3000 ophthalmologists from Western Indian state of Maharashtra. This podcast is by members of MOS for the ophthalmologist community of the world covering a broad range of topics concerning the science, art and practice of ophthalmology and ophthalmologists. This series is an initiative under the current leadership of MOS Honorary President Dr Jignesh Daswala Honorary Secretary Dr Rajesh Joshi Honorary Treasurer Dr Rajiv Mundra and Chairman Scientific Committee Dr Ragini Parekh Hope you like this series Do remember to follow it on your favorite podcast app You may send your feedback to MOS Secretary 7 at gmail.com. Happy listening. Hello, fellow members of our Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society. I, Dr. Jignesh Saswala, Honorary President, Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society. Welcome, Dr. Bullabali Rao, our esteemed guest for the first podcast, Ophthalmology and Beyond, the MOS podcast. Hope you enjoy this inaugural episode. Do remember to follow this podcast on your podcast app. Happy listening. I, Dr. Rajesh Joshi, Honorary Secretary, extend my greetings and welcome Dr. Bullabali Rao. as our esteemed guest for this first episode of mos podcast i also welcome today's host our senior members dr sangeeta wag and dr mandar paranspe we eagerly await for your feedback and happy listening thank you welcome to the first episode of ophthalmology and beyond the mos podcast the name dr gn rao brings to mind many things for an ophthalmologist especially from this part of the world a pioneer a clinician a researcher a teacher an ophthalmic philanthropist a great human being a true doyen in every sense he built one of the largest and arguably one of the best eye care systems the lv prasad eye institute from scratch in hyderabad formerly andhra pradesh and now telangana state of india we are extremely fortunate to have him as our guest for the inaugural podcast we shall have a free willing conversation with him on a host of issues i am your host dr mandar paranspe i am a comprehensive ophthalmologist from pune and joining me as a co-host also from pune is my friend dr sangeeta wag a senior reputed cornea surgeon and a former fellow of dr rao so we start this uh, interview and we welcome you sir for this inaugural podcast and sincerely thank you for sparing your valuable time <laughs> uh the first question of is after 37 years of energy charged career how are you enjoying your second innings and what are your thoughts as you wake up each day well <laughs> i don't know if it is the second innings or what but uh, i'm going to 
a focus on a few areas now, areas that are of, uh, that I like and are of relevance, particularly in a country like ours and in the developing world. So I, uh, my intention is to focus on rural eye health, primary eye care. And then another area is a, a program we have in West Africa and Liberia uh, to help uh, in the development of the eye health uh, program for that country. So in addition, I'll be involved in uh, some writing, uh, speaking here and there, and uh, involved in quite a few organizations on the boards, advisory boards, etc. So that's how I'm going to spend a lot of time. As of today, that's what I'm thinking. And uh, we now have a program at LVP called the Development of Institutes of Excellence in some niche areas. So helping the, I'll be helping the heads of those institutions uh, in some aspects in resource mobilization, et cetera. And uh, how do I look back? I think when I look back, uh, an intense feeling of gratification. Uh, what has happened in the past uh, 35 years uh, is very satisfying in many ways, in the ways we could uh, touch the lives of people, uh, both the people who sought care from us, people who came for advancing their careers, and also in the efforts that we have made in the area of research and innovation. So through that knowledge, uh, the Institute also participated very actively in the areas of advocacy, planning and uh, policy formulation at national and global levels. So in all these respects, I think uh, we can, I can look back uh, and feel very satisfied. So that, that's a really beautiful canvas you have painted, Dr. Rao. And over 40 years, your contribution has been phenomenal. And as I remember you 30 years ago, the control was total. And only recently, there's been a little shift or a transfer of, we'll call it power for the lack of any other words. And what, Responsibility. what I, <laughs> responsibilities, <laughs> well said. Uh, we just wanted to know when this whole thought process started, how did you plan it? Was it you just by yourself, the whole team? And exactly how the whole, it, it was just so smooth and it was so systematic. And, you know, in fact, we've always admired you for this genius that you have. We know there's or at least I don't know of a formal degree in business management or administration. It seems to be in your blood, but just how the whole process evolved and how the transition was so smooth. Uh, Sangeeta, when uh, I got into 
the development of the institute in 1987, my dream was uh, to let go of the leadership in 10 years time and then concentrate on my other areas of interest uh, in ophthalmology. Uh, I actually uh, had my eyes on a couple of people, but unfortunately it didn't work. So then at the kind of 15 year stage, we actually did a transition in 2004, but that again did not work very well and uh, did not last too long. So that's when uh, I had to get back uh, into taking the bigger responsibility of the Institute. And then we went on a phenomenal growth phase at that point in time. All the other tertiary centers, the real proliferation of all the secondary center network, the concept of uh, vision center and its growth, everything happened and uh, and throughout that period, I have been looking for potential successor. It's always been there on my mind, constantly looking around. In fact, I spoke to a few people, uh, but uh, didn't work out. And eventually I decided now I had to set a process in place and uh, a time has come. Uh, and I wanted to quit definitely, it's too late already by, by the time I was, the first goal was to quit the leadership when I was 58 and now when I approached my 75th birthday, I thought now it's, it's, it should be definite, there should be no further delay. So I thought quite a bit about how to do it and uh, we went through almost a four or five year process a group of nearly 50 of us uh, sat down, uh, brainstormed for half a day. And uh, one decision that was made at that time was it will be an ophthalmologist leader for the institute. The head of the institute will be an ophthalmologist. The second decision we made is that it would be an internal person unless there is somebody exceptional that is out there outside of the institute that we might be able to find. So those two decisions were made. And about three years ago, we also, again, uh, 50 people from different cadres brainstormed and identified 10 qualities that we wanted to see in our leader. And of course, some years ago, we also have come up with the five values of our institute. So then uh, with that, uh, I made an open letter to all the faculty from the junior most to the senior most saying the position is open. Any of you feel that you are qualified or interested can nominate yourself or nominate somebody else. So 19 names came up, the youngest being 33 years old, the oldest 70 years old. The two oldest dropped out on their own saying that they weren't interested. That left us with 17. 
of the 17, uh, they were all scored on the 10 leadership qualities and the alignment with the values of the Institute by two different groups of staff across the Institute of all cadres. And all those scores, scores were compiled by our executive vice chair. And from that, nine people came to the top. Of the nine, uh, he contacted each of the nine individually and uh, told them that you were selected in the nine. Uh, shall we go ahead with the process? Three expressed uh, their inability to accept the position at that time in their life. So that ended up with six. We did uh, psychological testing from uh, using some parameters that they were there about there available by an external expert of the six people's profile. So everything was there in information compiled of all these. And then they were interviewed by 12 people, six Indians and uh, six international people. And they were scored by them. And finally, a selection committee was formed, headed by Professor Srinath Reddy, President of Public Health Foundation of India, Dr. Vijay Lakshmi Ravindranath, Director of Center for Brain Research at the Indian Institute of Science, uh, Professor Ram Ramaswamy, former Vice Chancellor of University of Hyderabad, currently at uh, IIT Delhi. So the three of them but the selection committee was supposed to meet uh, in March of 2020, end of March of 2020, to finalize. But unfortunately, because of the pandemic, uh, the board asked me to continue to, through that period because they felt it was not a good thing to have a change uh, during that critical period. So it was it had to be deferred by a year, and. Uh, this year, March, uh, end of March, the committee met and uh, they have selected uh, Dr. Prashant Garg as my successor. I thought it was an outstanding choice. Uh, and uh, the rest of the people, the rest of the five, and then another six were added to the senior leadership group and the responsibilities of running the institute are being shared by the 12 of them and headed by Prashant. And you, while they were going through the interviews and all that thing, they, for nearly a year, they traveled across the entire network, three days a week, spending time to trying to understand every aspect of how the, what the Institute does, how it works, meeting people, talking to them, etc., etc., to know deeply about every aspect. So that was the process. Quite long, but I think we ended up with a great team. That was fantastic. Uh, it, it's the uh, meticulousness in your approach which comes out uh, every time uh, one speaks to you. And I'm also happy that throughout this period, the entire process, I stayed out. I never scored them at any stage, never gave my inputs at any stage to anybody. Uh, I'm going to take one step back uh, before we move forward. Uh, for building such a large institute like the LBP, there has to be a strong team. 
So what was your approach for building a strong team? And what kind of hurdles did you face? And how did you overcome those hurdles in the process? I think the, the secret that worked for us is a reliance on youth and reliance on new talent. People with no work experience, previous work experience. So 90 plus percent of our staff throughout have been people who just came out of their education. And for most of them, it's their first job. So for them, this is the only culture that they know. So that made it easier for us because there is no negative baggage that we had to work to get rid of. And anytime we had lateral recruitment, certainly there were ripples because the friction between the cultures they bring in from outside and our own culture. Our culture, yes, Sangeeta is very familiar with it, is somewhat anomalous to what happens in the rest of India and any other institution. So from that perspective, an outsider finds it difficult initially to adjust. So that was the thing, and because of the uh, relatively harmonious uh, culture, it became easier for everybody. And uh, so certain, and the transparency of the institution, everything that happens, everybody knows. There's nothing hidden. One of the examples is we, we never, uh, financial is classic. Uh, we never accepted any cash payment from anybody whether it's a patient or a donor. No, we must have lost uh, probably more than 50 crores donations because we didn't accept cash. Uh, so that was very clear. And at no point in 35 years uh, did we pay a single paisa of bribe to anybody. And there was also never an incident of any employee demanding tips from patients. So that culture was set in from day one and that continued. And that helped in a big way. And there's certainly a, definitely a feeling among the very high percentage of our staff uh, of some degree of ownership. This is their family, their institute kind of feeling. So all those things uh, made it easier. Hurdles. The hurdle then and even today has been to identify the right people of compatible standards and values. It's not easy. And uh, so we continue to struggle with that. And, uh, while we have expanded uh, uh, considerably, we could have done even more had we been able to get more people. One example is, for example, uh, most of us in ophthalmology don't want to go to rural areas. If only we had availability of ophthalmologists willing to work at least a couple of years in a rural area, we could have ended up with 100 secondary centers in rural areas. Because money is, for us, in our experience, is the least of the problems. People who are willing to fund 100% of the center in their village, if we are ready to start, 
in their place. So resources, financial resources are available. The paradox in our country is with a population of nearly 1.4 billion, our problem is uh, human resources. Thank you. So, uh, Dr. Rao, we know the principles of eye care at the Institute, it's equality and excellence to all. And it's a very well-known fact that nearly 50% of the patients get the excellent eye care free of cost. So, we know the Institute is a not-for-profit organization, but how does this whole equation balance out? And how is it financially viable? I think a couple of things. Number one, right from the beginning, we were very clear. And you were asking, I, I never had any management education. Never even read a book on management before God started with LVP or anything. So just uh, maybe that helped me. In, <laughs> going, in bond. Going like a bull. <laughs> without thinking about the any possible adverse uh, consequences. Uh, because ignorance sometimes is very helpful. Uh, so what we hesitate sometimes now, I never hesitated in the beginning about those things. So I think uh, we always separated. Most people don't know. A lot of people think we depend on uh, donations and all for our running. Since the fourth month of our inception, when we started performing surgeries, we've never been in the red for operating expenses from the money we generated from our paying patients. We clearly bifurcated the accounts of the money we earned through patient care from the money that is the soft money, what we call vulnerable, through grants and donations that we completely separated. The second group pile of money we used only for expansion, new projects, maybe sometimes new equipment kind of thing. But operating expenses, we never depended on from then until now. Even today, the money we generate from the paying patients covers all our operating expenses, including education, research, rehabilitation, every activity that we do. So that has helped us. And the second principle that we followed is that I learned working with many international organizations is uh, the concept of building a reserve for the rainy day. The philosophy very well uh, pronounced in UK charity law is Every not-for-profit organization should have a reserve of at least equivalent of six months of operating expenses. And we went a bit further and tried to keep it at nine months to 12 months. And that really helped us during this pandemic because uh, we protected everybody's 100% salary of all our 3,000 member staff. And we protected everybody's jobs. So that paid rich dividends because when the situation improved, um, our staff was working seven days a week. They did not take any 
leave during the last year. So that showed the team spirit. And in fact, uh, 2020, 2021, we had the largest surplus ever because everybody chipped in and controlled the expenditures so rigorously, a lot of operating expenditure came down. That from that, we have learned a lot. So investing in uh, human resources, taking care of them at every cadre, providing them career advancement. Every cadre has an advancement opportunity in our institute. In addition to ophthalmologists who go out for a year, do the fellowship at our cost and all that, other cadres support their education, get PhDs. There are about 35 of our staff who, while working full-time, got their PhD. Similarly, others take courses, do this, do that. So all that is up available to them. So by looking after all those areas and be careful, and in 35 years, we have never failed to pay the salary of every individual on the last day of each month. Never. We failed that. Same thing with our vendors. Within seven days maximum, all vendors' payments have to be paid. Because if they are providing us something, they are our partners too. That's how we look at it. And we don't want them waiting. So some of the simple basic principles help us. People ask me, well, I said it's just uh, the middle class mentality I grew up with, I guess. I don't go out and take 1,000 crore loan, this and that. And so people tell me, oh, if you're at your institute, you can get four or 5,000 rupees crore and you can expand and go here, go there. And I said, we are happy, we are okay. We don't need those loans, loans and we don't have to go everywhere. Because I believe very strongly, it's, it's a mistake to think we can take care of the entire country. You do your bit, you help in the capacity building of other organizations, you create models and let others replicate for their own locals, localities, local communities. So that's how we, we do it and uh, we have made a deliberate decision to limit ourselves to the three states we are in. That's it, we are not going to go to other states. We had offers from every major city uh, with people offering 100% funding to replicate our Hyderabad campus in Delhi, in Mumbai, in Bangalore, etc. We said no. So with such a strong foundation that you've laid uh, for building such a wonderful uh, uh, healthcare system, uh, when you look in the future, what future do you envision for an uh, organization like LVP? And uh, how do the new leaders share that vision with, uh, with this? Yeah, we, we already, at the, end, at the end of first 25 years, uh, we began to strategize for the future and came up with a program called Next 25. 
and with two, two strategic pillars for that. One is, as I said, the institutes of excellence. And we have come up with about 12 of them. They're already rolled out and on the progressing to that stage. And the second pillar is a pillar of very robust, high quality primary eye care model in the three states that we work in that can be replicated by others elsewhere. In addition, of course, people are now getting into a lot of, uh, how do you leverage the technology, technological innovations, and bring the technology and talent together to get the best results in eye care. That's a major project for us. And uh, Prashant right now also is exploring uh, several new areas out there. And in fact, one of our senior leaders in that group of 12, his uh, responsibility is to look at new horizons all the time, both within eye care and outside eye care. And uh, what might help us, what influences eye care in the future. So we constantly keep up with the changes that happen and uh, without losing our bearings, that's important. So Dr. Rao, we know the LVPI health pyramid for eye care, the fourth years, and it has a very, very solid base on which everything builds towards centers of excellence. So would you say that the task force or creating a cadre of the trained personnel or the manpower would be a challenge and how, how would one work towards it right from the clinicians, the secretarial staff, the administrative staff? So would you have any recommendations or how was it worked on? Were they all trained in-house? You did send them out, but did you get expertise in and what are the best ways to build up a workforce? As I said, uh, most of the people uh, are in-house trained. Uh, the ratio of ophthalmologists to all other cadres, I would say, is even 1 to 20. So that's what is required in a, in a true sense, that we have to have a smooth running engine. Uh, then I think things will happen and move smoothly. I think over-dependence on ophthalmologists to do everything is not good. And uh, I think we also have, our ophthalmologists are also recruited only if they have academic interests. So we, right from the beginning, this is a model I adapted from the US universities, which the, even the university, US universities are not uh, practicing anymore because they are running after money now. So he is to give dedicated time to every clinician to pursue research. We give two days a week minimum. And some of them who are more actively interested in research, they get more than two days a week to do research. So similarly, other cadres. At the lower end, we take people just completing high schools. We train them as technicians. We train them as uh, counselors. And then those with a college degree are trained as administrators, things like that. And the 
people that we train as technicians, nurse assistants, counselors, it gives us huge, huge satisfaction. Many of these kids come out of very, very underprivileged families. Many of whose parents are just daily wage laborers. And this kid completing the nurse assistant training or technician training becomes sometimes the sole way bread earner for that family. So that we are able to pick up these kids from the villages, train them at our cost, and give them a career is very satisfying. They meet our needs because they become top class technicians and nurses. And we are helping them and their families. And they have a career that is very respected. Your name is synonymous with the institute that you've built, but we are also curious to know if there are any more significant achievements uh, that you can share with us apart from building LVP. I don't know what achievements, but every now and then friend, friends threw me some awards and that's and that. But when you have a lot of good friends, they keep giving those awards. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I feel very privileged in my life because uh, I had first-hand experience in ever, just about every aspect of healthcare, clinical care, teaching, research, public health, management, leadership, advocacy, planning, etc., etc. So that way, extremely privileged. Except working for industry, I did everything else in I care. So that, that really helps because uh, like working with organizations like International Agency for Prevention of Blindness, WHO, and the International Council of Ophthalmology, et cetera, you get to meet people, a lot of people from other sectors. I happen to meet uh, politicians, leaders in other countries, ministers, economists, uh, social workers, so interacting with them and, uh, and then uh, sitting in discussions with them, you learn a lot. So every bit helped. Otherwise, I started out in a village for 10 years of my early life. I was in a village going to a village school. So from that, that also I think is a privilege that I had. Because that, that really made, I think, relayed the real foundation. At that time, you don't realize it. But when I look back, those first 10 years of my life uh, laid a very strong foundation. Dr. Rao, you're so modest. And we know that you were the Secretary General of the International Association for Prevention of Blindness and the Chair and CEO. And you have helped develop systems in not just India, but over 12 countries and your latest project in Liberia. I know you said that you want to contain to just the three states, but on a global platform, you've made an impact and you continue to work with forces all over. So what would you see as the future of, of the ophthalmology in the uh, whole world? The future of ophthalmology is good because I think uh, 
I think it's somebody I was listening to, somebody who is uh, working on AI platforms and all that, a physician. So I think he's right, I thought. He says, uh, in future, accumulation of knowledge would not be a big requirement for us. Because that you could get at the click of a button. So there you get equalizer. The most brilliant and the average will have the same access to that knowledge. So but what differentiates is going to be your personality. You as a person, how caring you are. The caring, the more caring you are, the better and more successful you become as a physician. So that I think in ophthalmology is very important. That the human element is what we can add. Because technology will allow us to do things better, faster, and reach out to more people. But I think in healthcare, the importance of human element cannot be ignored. If anybody thinks everything can be taken care of by technology, that's just not going to happen. That's probably, that will be a disaster. So I would always say talent plus technology is the, is the key. We should control technology, not the other way around. So there is this human element to all of us. And as clinicians involved in you know, care of our patients, probably there are some hard edges that we, we develop. But obviously, there is a soft side to our personality as well. And I'm sure there is one to you, sir. So what does Dr. Rao do when he is not involved with ophthalmology or ophthalmic practice? What kind of hobbies have you built up over these last many years? And frankly, this question leads to this uh, eternal uh, dilemma of the balance of professional and family or other commitments that one has. How do you You're, asking, you're asking the wrong guy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that balance is. Uh, the biggest secret of my success is my wife. Without her, I wouldn't have been anywhere where I am today. So. She took the major brunt of a uh, lot of responsibilities. My personal, my family, everything. Uh, so I didn't have much of a balance from that perspective. So when people talk about it, uh, I can't understand sometimes. Uh, I think uh, the world is made up of people of all kinds. I think it's the, it's the combination of all the different uh, groups of people that makes the world go. So some people have to do what I did. Some people have to do what they do. So I think it's an individual choice and uh, we can't prescribe one uniform thing for everybody. Like for example, I, I tried to drag Sangeeta into our institute, I couldn't. <laughs> she ran away to Pune. Her heart pulled her there. <laughs> my, my next wife. <laughs> so, so, Dr. Rao, as we've 
covered almost whatever we had in writing. I, I have a couple of questions which are not as per the schedule. What would you describe as your best moment reflecting back on say the last four decades or five decades, which is the most memorable day or event in your life? Um, <laughs> very hard, hard for me to answer that question. I don't know if there is one moment that I can say uh, that this, this defined my life. Uh, it's always a, a cumulative effect of multiple moments, I would say. <laughs> So the sense of fulfillment where you've changed lives for more than 35 million people, it's the magnitude of your contribution, not just to eye care, but to humanity is phenomenal. It's humongous. And I do wish one day somebody would sit down and pen down your biography, right from your early days to what you have today. And as we conclude, I want you to give us a message for the generations to come. What would be the future and how we reach where we do? The first thing that I want to tell you is now that uh, it's not uh, me alone that did all this, it's the team. It's the entire team I'm privileged to lead over the past 35 years that made this happen. And then it was the many formal and many informal teachers from whom I learned a lot along my, throughout my life. And all that together along with my family, my parents, uh, my immediate family, now everybody contributed to it. Otherwise, I don't think uh, I alone could have done all this. So going forward, the message to the youngsters is uh, I strongly believe everybody has a spark in themselves. It's a question of whether we bring it out on our own or somebody else will bring it out from us. So that's why in our education programs, we have to be more than teachers. We have to be true mentors. You identify the spark and pull it out and show them the way. A lot of our youngsters will do exceedingly well. Uh, like uh, in the 35 years here at LVP, we had many ex such examples. And you just have to keep looking for it and see how each one is performing among your trainees. If somebody is lagging behind, you have to ask the question, why is this person lagging behind? And what can we do to pull them up? It's easy to give up, but it's more difficult. Uh, there's a saying that uh, great mentors transform lives. So mentorship is very important. So that's something that our ophthalmology younger colleagues can remember. And we also have to remember during our learning process, we can learn from everybody. We should not discriminate. It could be a nurse, it could be a technician, it could be anybody from whom you learn. Any good practice, you should keep your eyes and ears open, you can pick up and learn. Even the management, you can learn a lot of things. 
watching wherever you go. So for somebody who wants to, I believe uh, in the saying that uh, if somebody wants something badly enough, they can get it. The question is how badly that you want it. So ultimately it's like a, it's like a journey, a destination. You, when, you, when you are engaging in a journey, you, you know where, which is what your destination is for your travel. And then you make plans how to get there. And then you don't change it. Even if somebody tries to pull you or push you along on the way. So life is also in some sense the same thing. Don't let people push or pull you once you decide I have a path. Keep going. You'll arrive at your destination. That's all I can say. A lot of discouragement in the early years when we started, everybody said, what you're planning, what you're trying to do will not work. You all call the time I used to say, this is India, this is not America, this is this, this is that, it's not going to work here, it's not going to work here. And everything worked. Okay. It's been a Thank truly, you. true, true privilege to have uh, this interview with you. I frankly uh, can sum it up in just one way. It's like sitting under a large tree with a big shade where you get that feeling of satisfaction when you're out in the sun. So it's something like that. And uh, every time we listen to you, there are these bits and pieces of nuggets of uh, insights that one draws from your kind and uh, wise words. So, I mean, uh, your journey is legendary. Everybody knows about it. We'll be posting a brief bio in the uh, podcast details that uh, you will be uh, listening to. But uh, truly, truly, we are extremely, extremely privileged to speak to you. And we thank you sincerely for sparing valuable time out of your busy schedule for this uh, short interview. Sangeeta, if you'd like to say a few words, concluding yeah. remarks. Like I said, we are in eternal gratitude and you continue to be an inspiration to all of us. The people who've given up, who've ended their careers, and like I say, like an evergreen tree, there is no stopping for Dr. Rao and he continues to be the beacon for all of us. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for all your kind comments. Good luck. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Good day to you, sir. Thank you.